Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are back with another episode. It is me, myself, and I, Sig, as we are here just kind of by ourselves, and Roggle doesn't even know this is being recorded. <laughs> Surprise, Roggle, if you're watching this. Um, so here's kind of the deal is I was sent I was sent an article about some true crime documentaries or true crime cold cases that um, have been solved recently and I was told I should um, read these as one of them does take place in the Kansas City area which just so happens to be you know Kansas and Missouri side of the, of the nation so I figured, yeah, why not? Let's check these out. I remember hearing about uh, the Kansas City one uh, growing up, so I figured let's check it out and see what's going on. So all all three cases, uh, these were, this comes from an article dated back on November 30th of 2023, so the end of the year. Um, I figured this would be a perfect time to kind of kick it off uh, type of thing. So without further ado, Let's get into today's episode as we discuss three cold cases that were solved simply by DNA. And these were deemed high profile murder cases. So, yeah. With that said, uh, trigger warning right up ahead. Um, there is talk of, of course, murder. There's talk about some sexual assault, some rape, um, and just other not so great concepts by any means. So, just kind of be aware if you're if you don't like listening to that type of stuff i highly recommend you maybe just skipping this episode for now um and coming back to the one after this or watching the one right before but without further ado let's get into today's episode two guys one game pad true crime edition three high fro high profile cold cases that were recently solved um so let's jump right into it all these cases were solved by dna technology all right, so let's go over this first one. All right, where are you at? Where are you at? The murder of Fawn Cox. All right, I think this is the, yeah, this is the Kansas City one. So this takes place at, uh, in the Kansas City area. Yep, sorry. If I sound really congested, I apologize. I am really congested. Uh, the murder of Fawn Cox on July 26, 1989. Fawn Cox, 16 years old was raped, singled, and ultimately murdered in her own bedroom. Her alarm had gone off and she did not turn it off, so her mother and little sister went into her room and found her lying there dead. I went over there to shake her, come on, get up, but she had already been gone for a while, Fawn Cox's sister, Felicia Cox said. Fawn was a junior at Northeast High School and had been working at her job as a cashier at Worlds of Fun, a Kansas City amusement park, until 11 p.m. the evening before. She went straight to bed when she got home from work. Her family says they did not hear anything the night because the air conditioners were on. However, Felicia does remember the family dog acting agitated that evening, which they attributed to the dog being pregnant. To pick that home and that window to come in and leave undetected makes sense that the subject knew Fawn, says the Kansas City Police Department Sergeant Ben Caldwell, who told KCTV. 
Caldwell believes the attacker snuck in through the window that led to the second floor where Fawn's bedroom was. The pain of living with Fawn's unsolved murder has been devastating her family. Awful. There's no other word to explain it. No closure. Closure. Someone out there is living a normal life that she never got to. And I think about it every day, says her sister, Felicia Cox. In 2000, the family offered a $3,000 reward in hopes that it would lead to a discovery of Fawn's killer. Money doesn't, does not, oh, sorry. Money does a lot on the street, said Fawn's mother, Beverly Cox. That's what we're hoping and praying for anyways. Fawn's family fought for years to get advanced DNA techniques used on the case. They held fundraisers and even offered to pay for it themselves as the Kansas City police could not afford it. Ultimately, the FBI paid for the testing. Within a matter of weeks of utilizing advanced DNA technology, the family finally received the answer that, they, that has eluded them for so long. But it was not what they were expecting. According to Kansas City Police Department press release, in the summer of 2020, Operation Legend came to Kansas City pumping federal resources into the department and enabling them to pursue advanced DNA technology. This allowed law enforcement to come to compare the profile of unknown suspect DNAs to other national database and build a family tree of that person, narrowing the search to a small pool of suspects. With the use of genealogy DNA testing, it was discovered that the killer was Donald Cox Jr. He was Fawn's cousin who was about five years older than her. Ultimately, justice could not be truly served as he died in 2006 of a suspicious death that was determined to have been a result of foul play. Investigators that had worked on his death investigation had retained a blood sample from their investigation. Crime lab staff extracted the DNA from that blood sample and compared it to the DNA profile from bodily fluids discovered at Fawn's bedroom in 1989. It was a pure match. The family has learned that answers are a mixed blessing. There's a relief, relief of closure. The answers aren't always what we were asking for, but we have closure, says her sister, Felicia. Yo, like, what the fuck? Just what the ever-loving hell like? I, I, I vaguely remember hearing about this death and being on the news again, 89. I wasn't even in, um, uh, Kansas yet. I, I wasn't even born yet. I'm born in 90. I didn't even come to Kansas till like 95, 96. Um, uh, but anyways, I remember hearing about this on a cold case, unsolved case type thing. Um, especially throughout like my middle school years when we had to do research papers and I was very fascinated with with <laughs> true crime mostly serial killers and unsolved cases um, and also like mythology just kind of throw that wonky ass shit in there because that's what my research papers seem to have always been about was one of those uh, three subjects serial killers unsolved crimes or um, mythology it was just, yeah a fucking weird kid <laughs> but I remember reading about that and and um, being baffled that it happened in what we would call our backyard because it was in Kansas City so yeah 
So that got solved, and that was his her her cousin. Fucking weirdo. Jesus. Alright. Let's move on to another one. Alright, alright, alright. Alright, let's talk about the murder of Jody Loomis. I do not know anything about this one. Around 5.30 p.m. on August 23rd, 1972, a couple drove up a dark dirt track off Penny Creek Road in, oh my God, I'm not going to pronounce this word right, Snohomish, Snohomish County, Washington. That's the city. So, Snohomish County, Washington. All right. Back then, there were no developments or strip malls. It was all evergreens and farmland. The couple had planned to go target shooting, but a fallen tree blocked their path as they ventured up the dirt road. As they got out to move the tree, they were shocked to find a woman lying there, dying from a gunshot wound to the head. Jody Loomis, 20 years old, lay in the woods in her panties, high socks, and dark waffle stomper style boots. She had been shot above her right ear with a 22 caliber pistol. According to the Herald Net, Jody was still alive but unable to speak to the couple who raced to save who raced her to Stevens Hospital, now Swedish Edmonds. She was pronounced dead though upon arrival. Usually Jody's parents drove her to the horse stable and drop her off. That fateful day was the first time she had decided to take her 10 speed bicycle and ride to the stables on her own. The dirt road off Penny Creek is midway to the stable. Her murder remained unsolved for decades, haunting both her family and the investigators themselves. Over the course of many years, investigators tenaciously pursued the investigation, even passing out playing cards in jails, hoping someone would come forward with information. The investigation slowly became a cold case, but the investigators and the Loomis family, there were still a glimmer of hope. That wasn't properly read. DNA was found at the crime scene on Jody's body and the heel of her boot. The evidence was preserved for near, nearly 50 years and submitted for genetic genealogy identification, which linked linked it to a family member of 78-year-old 70, Terrence Miller. Police had narrowed their search. Wait, is she 78 now? So, 30, 28 back then. Okay, cool. In 2019, Snohomish County Sheriff Department arrested Terrence Miller and charged him with first-degree murder. Miller was living in Edmonds, Washington, only 17 minutes away from where Jody was murdered over four decades earlier. His DNA was collected from discarded coffee cups and ultimately matched to the semen collected from Jody's boots. Ew. Ew. According to Seattle Times, Miller had been accused of sex crimes at least five times since the 60s. Now look, this is where they just failed. Failed. Accused. Oh, fuck. Anyways, after more than 46 years of searching for her killer, we finally have some answers for Jody's family. Snohomish County Sheriff Ty Trenary said in a statement, Thanks to the relentless persistence of our cold case team and our new DNA technology, we are one step closer to justice for Jody. However, just hours before Miller would be convicted by a jury, 
he killed himself. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he probably would have died in jail. It's it's a. I'm just saying these these two these two stories so far. One was a cousin, the other one just said it was a uh, family member. Yeah. So how were they connected with family? That's so fucking weird. You can't trust anybody. Not even your own family. They do some terrible shit to you. God damn. All right. Well, onwards, upwards to the third one. Let's just get after it. The murder of Carla Jane Walker. Carla Jane Walker, 17 at the time, was a beautiful cheerleader and student who was abducted out of the passenger seat of her boyfriend's car at a bowling alley in South Fort Worth, Texas, on February 16th, 1974. Several days later, her body was discovered in a drainage culvert at Bimbrook Lake, just west of the city. Her clothes were ripped, and she had been beaten, raped, tortured, and strangled to death. Rodney McCoy was a quarterback on the Western Hills high school football team. He and Carla had attended a Valentine's Week dance and stopped by the bowling alley to see France before planning to go home. Rodney was in the driver's seat when Carla was kidnapped at the time. McCoy told the police the man pointed a gun at him and threatened to kill him, then knocked him unconscious by hitting him in the head and face. Rodney said he woke up later to find Carla was gone. She was such a sweet girl. I remember we were in the front seat of the car. Her back was against the passenger side door. She was falling out. So I went to grab her and he started beating me over the head with a pistol, said Rodney. The last thing Rodney remembers is Carla yelling, Rodney, go get my dad. An autopsy of Carl's, Carla's body revealed she had been ejected with morphine leaving many questions about what happened to Carla during the three days between her disappearance and her body, or when her body was found. Decades passed with no answers. Jesus, fucking morphine. Several men were questioned in Carla's murder. One man was Glenn Samuel McCurley, who investigators spoke to less than two months after Carla's murder in 1974 a gun magazine had been found in the parking lot of the bowling alley where carla was abducted and police were able to tie it to mccurley however mccurley was released he told the investigators his gun had been stolen and there was nothing else to tie him to the murder uh-huh sure flash forward four and a half decades to september 10th 2020 Investigators returned to McCurley's home where he invited them in to talk to him and his wife. He repeated the same story he told detectives back in 1974. He said he did not kill anyone and he never knew Carla Walker. Investigators asked him for a DNA sample, which he agreed and signed a consent form. Police took two swabs and sent them to sent them off for analysis. It was sent to Orthrum a lab that specializes in advanced testing of small amounts of DNA and developing a full DNA profile of perpetrators. Six days later, police were notified the swabs matched the DNA found on, Carl on Carla's bra. A warrant was obtained and McCurley was arrested on the charge of capital murder. 
the word that comes across my brain was finally after 46 years five months three days we have a name a face and we're working towards a complete resolution says jim walker carla's younger brother this is a resolution that had been prayed for by many for years years now i feel like god just put the right two detectives on the case in a twist jim also wanted mccurley's family to know they were in his prayers and it's not their fault one man's full extension of sympathy for the brutal killers killers family family sorry jim decided to become a fort worth police officer nearly 45 years ago after his older sister was found murdered my mom suffered in an incredible silence back in 1970 you didn't have dr phil showing up at your door or all this group support like we do now said jim his parents both passed away without ever knowing mccurley was arrested without experiencing justice but jim is there to see it through for his mother to whom he made a pledge this should show you that law enforcement is coming for you. It's not if you get caught, but when, said Jim to Star Telegram. The case and many others have been solved by using advanced DNA techniques should also provide hopes for the families of murder victim. Justice right around the corner. So it seems like thanks to this advanced DNA technique, there's we're finally able to solve a lot of uh, cold case that for the most part kind of seems to be have taken place 60 70 80s um, even early 90s even so I think people forget or often forget that um, DNA testing and fingerprint uh, testing all that has not been around all that long like that's all fairly fairly recent um, like let's let's just I forget that I want to say it's all within the last 20 years 25 years i guess now since 2024 yeah so when was finger printing use for... all right so 19 oh well they've been using it since night fingerprint has been used since 1905 1924 when was it allowed so i remember reading something several several years ago Give me one second. Let me see. All right. So fingerprinting was accepted or has been accepted as evidence in court since since 1911. So a little over 100 years. Um, but it was deemed the most reliable sense of evidence um, for a very, 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 very long time. And that was just because, you know, it was kind of all you had. Let's see about DNA. All right, and DNA was first accepted as evidence back in 1986, but did not become a powerful tool till mid 90s, such as saliva, skin, blood, hair, or semen. Uh, this was te uh, tested or contested, sorry, a lot since its uh, acceptance into the court system, I guess would be the best way to put it, as just simply because if you knew each other like these cut, fucked up cousins and family members knew each other there was a likelihood they would be there the only thing kind of not the only thing that sounds bad the big thing that kind of gave it in was the fact that they, they were uh, sexually assaulted um so you, you kind of hard to say well 
I hang out there a lot. No, no, listen. No, that's wrong. Jeez. Wow, Wait, what about advanced DNA? Look at that. I'm learning something new every time. Advanced DNA really is just bringing in the genealogy side of the house. So within the last, so yeah, the last decade, decade and a half. Uh, so basically DNA is still, I'm going to say young just to make myself feel better. <laughs> but still, yeah, it's still a, a fairly new thing because it's not even 40 years old yet. And it still gets contested quite regularly, especially fingerprints as well, just due to the nature of, again, if you if the killer or the suspect knew the victim um, and they had a good relationship type situation, then it was challenge, often challenged and still is. Uh, but advanced DNA testing has become an amazing method of which they use to close out cold cases. Um, so, I mean, that's awesome. Let's, I, I'm just kind of curious now because now we're down this fucking rabbit hole. Let's just go down this rabbit hole. All right, so if we just go down a, a freaking quick rabbit hole, we're going to be wrapping this up in a, in a bit. But the biggest cold case, so to speak, or true crime case um, that was solved using advanced DNA um, in the recent, like, 10 years has been the conviction of the Golden State Killer, uh, who was active through 1974 to 1986. Shut up, all you young people. Yes, it's not that long ago, but it was. Um, but we saw the conviction of Joseph James D'Angelo, who was arrested and charged with 13 counts of murder back in 2018, linked to multiple unsolved cold cases that dated back as far as 1974. Uh, they found him investigators used public genealogy database matching the efforts with data obtained from the victim's relatives leading them closer and closer until they found d'angelo himself by using his discarded items such as razors and napkins to obtain his dna which connected him to 13 murders 51 sexual assaults and 120 burglaries um the hbo limited series i'll be gone in the dark released shortly before D'Angelo's arrest in 2018 featured the case of the Golden State Killer as told through interviews with the victim, family members, and investigators, providing an in-depth look at how this unsolved case was eventually solved. 2020, The Guardians reported D'Angelo was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. parole. That was a big profile case. Like I remember reading and doing several research papers about the Golden State Killer um, and the fact that they just, they could not figure out who he was or anything. Um, the fact that he, he was caught by genealogy, because I think this was the first case, at least I remember hearing about uh, genealogy being brought in to help find killers. Um, you didn't hear too much about it. Um, not really sure why again, I get sent weird shit like this all the time by friends and um, acquaintances. So yeah, it's weird. But that's probably the, the biggest profiled case that I remember going, oh shit, they can actually do that now. Um, but with that said, I, I, I could be wrong. So green assault type situation. When the Golden State Killer was caught, uh, this led to a lot of like best way to put it without getting into the spectrum of which we don't talk about 
it led to a lot of situation of people being very concerned about um, genealogy uh, programs, sites, businesses like Ancestry and 23andMe just kind of giving this information out freely to the to the cops and to people who want to buy that type of data. Um, and I, I, sh I just remember that simply because of shit that was said in my own personal family at the time. Or extended family, I guess. Now, but my family, whatever, my side of the house. Um, but I, I remember it being a big deal, and still is. How people are, you should be scared. Like, it's it's cool. Like genealogy is really cool. Like I, I have my family history. I know a lot about my family history. I know I'm beginning, why we're named, how we are, where we came from, um, and a lot. So it's I. I think it's cool. I think everybody should do 23andMe or Ancestry or whatever and, and find something out, especially as like health. And we're not sponsored by them. Unless you're listening, then, you know, hey, sponsor us. Um, but you find out a lot of cool things, like a lot of uh, potential medical issues you may or may not have or you're prone to due to just genetic makeup. So definitely recommend it. Uh, and of course, you know, is also maybe you're linked to a murder, so maybe you don't want to take it. I don't know. Moral of the story: genealogy for the win. Um, fucking cousins and family members, weird. Like more likely to kill you. I mean, I guess that is a statistic, is it that you're you're more likely to be uh, taken out by someone you know and someone who knows you rather than just complete stranger. Uh, I'm. I wonder, what is the real statistics? All right, well, I think I'm going to have to retract that statement because there's a lot of articles out here that's kind of jumping around uh, and saying the modern day uh, stranger homicide or being murdered by somebody that you don't know is extremely rare. However, uh, in the same from the Office of Justice Program, a U.S. Department of Justice. And this article is written back in 87 or 1987. So, you know, I don't know. Not that great, I guess. Because um, it's over 30 years old now. It's actually 40 years old. Uh, but anyways, it, it states that 46% of violent crimes were committed by total strangers. Um, however, then it goes on down to break, quote, the remaining, which doesn't add up to uh, 54% but it says the remaining 11% was committed by uh, by those know who know the victim by only sight meaning somebody was watching you and they knew you only by the sight 13% was committed by friends or co-workers and then 8% was committed by relatives themselves however if you crunch those numbers really quick that's that's 32 like we're we're still missing, we're we're still missing twenty two percent. So this is this is not a great report, Office of Justice program by the U.S. Department of Justice. Just saying, but there's psychology reports and everything that says um, only thirteen percent of homicides are actually random slash by strangers. Um, there's others that say. Like they compare it by the genders, 
um, where it's by comparison, 6% of men that were murdered in 2022, 6% <laughs> of men that were murdered were killed by their partners. <laughs> They're sniffing at others. Ooh. All right. Um, yeah, that's all. That's not great. So it says we're down a freaking rabbit hole, y'all. This this is what we get into all the time. Um, recent document from 2022 talking about the year 2021. Um, say that of roughly 5,000 female victims of murder or non negligent. Oh, I'm butchering that. You fucking make fun of me. Anyways, uh, women that were killed, 34% were often uh, murked by their intimate partner, whereas comparison, only 6% of males that were murked that year were by intimate partners. However, it's not like you take that at face value, yes. Here's the numbers. So I'll, I'll read it verbatim. Of the estimated 4,970 female victims that were murdered or negligent manslaughter back in 2021, 4,970 females, remember that number, 4,970, uh, law enforcement agencies reported that 34% were killed by an intimate partner. So that's, that's very crucial to know because you hear these numbers and you quickly go, well, that's so high. It is. I mean, the numbers don't lie, but that is high. So one second. So 34% of 4,970, the estimated 4,970, it's a decimal, so we're going to round up, is 1,690 women were murdered by their intimate partners. I say that's important to know because if you do... If, if you read articles like this and you take it at just face value with the numbers and you don't actually like break down the math at all, you start like, going, oh, hold on. That's that's astronomically high. All right. It's still high. Like, don't, I'm not fucking don't belittle that by any means. That's a lot of people being murked by their partners. Um, but then they say in comparison, roughly six percent of the 17,970 males that were murdered that same year were uh, murked by their intimate partners. So again, while the, the percentage is significantly lower, if you compare the, the number of victims, it's, it's triple. It's triple, so triple the amount of men died that year compared to women. So, yes, that's still a lot of women. Like, I'm not fucking downplaying that. I just like want to put it in perspective is all. Because uh, this often gets overlooked and not thoroughly discussed by any means. They just say, oh, 6%, 34%. Well, hold on. Backtrack a bit. Three times the amount of men were murdered than women. Still terrible. Like, don't, I'm not fucking downplaying that at all. But 6% of 17,970 is still 1,078 men were murdered, which is still roughly, you know, 600 less than the women. But, which makes sense because, like, 
we're more men are more prone to uh lashing out with aggression so not even gonna downplay that by any means that's just facts and like you you can't dispute that sorry uh, but then it says over 76% of female murderers and 50% of male murderers were perpetrated by someone who knew the victim. About 16% of female murderers, murder victims were killed by a non-intimate family member, parent, grandparent, sibling, in-law, or other family member, compared to 10% of the male murder victims. So that makes sense. Yeah, that tracks. Because again, fucking weirds. Um, but see, if you look at that statistic, that's astronomically higher than what the Department of Justice was reporting. Um, granted, that, their report hasn't been updated since 87, so fucking, that's trash. Uh, but then if you look on a little bit further, and this is, this article I'm reading is by the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Uh, so, <laughs> I love their website. <laughs> BJS dot ojp.gov so you can find all these statistics there uh, but then it goes on to say a larger percentage of male males were murdered by a stranger than females so roughly 21 percent of men that were murdered were murdered by complete strangers whilst females it's only 12 percent again these are still like freaking ridiculously high numbers regardless of how you look at it. So that makes it for one out of every three male murder victims and one out of every five female murder victims, the relationship between the victims and their offenders was unknown. What? Does that mean they're unsolved or they just don't know the connection? Because that still sounds like random or stranger. They could be wrong. Um... So, kind of just back up their methodology and their data because they do have a subsection about this. The National Incident Based Reporting System is a data collection system designed and maintained by the FBI that compiles data on all crimes recorded by a participating state and local law enforcement agencies. NIBRS cap captures extensive information on each incident known to law enforcement. The NIBRS data collects, nibbers, collects detailed information on 52 different offenses that occur within a crime incident and collects arrest-only information on additional 10 offenses. In 2021, national estimates of crime were based on data received from about 11,790 of the 18,800 law enforcement agencies in the United States, representing approximately 65% of the U.S. population. So that's where their statistics are coming from. Don't come at me. It's all backed up by FBI database. So is what is but that goes on to kind of like piggyback off of why two of the three murders that uh, the true crimes that were solved that i talked to the top of the top of the hour were uh females who were murdered by people they knew because they do have a higher number i mean it's it's 20 percent more um the third case jody how did she die or not, that wasn't Jody, was it? Was it Jody? Carla, that's who it was. Carla Walker. She. Samuel McCurry is just some dude. Yeah. So he's just some guy. 
I mean, that this, this, you take those three cases I talked at the top of the hour, two thirds, 66.6%, um, were murked out by family members, whether cousin or just family members in general. And the other third percent was total random, which match matches the, the statistics that's even today. Those murders all took place 70s and 80s. Yeah, 70s and 80s. Um, so really late 80s on one of them. So statistics don't lie, guys, but that's ridiculous. But also look at the full picture, though, when you guys do these type of research. Um, don't look at just the percentage. Actually look at the numbers, break it down type thing. Because, again, in 2021, 17,970 uh, men were murdered in comparison to 13,000 less 4,970 females were um, were killed. So when the percentage does get high, that is a astronomical amount in comparison. Um, but when you break down the number, you see it's it's close. It's just a lot of guys die. And I think men statistically are more likely to die by murder too. Is what they said. We wrong. I may have misread that. Anyways. We're done with this rabbit hole because I, I could keep going. I'm not going to keep you guys here with this rabbit hole snooze fest. Or not snooze fest, but this rabbit hole show. Because we, I could go on for hours. So, But without further ado, my name is Sig. Make sure you go check out um, Two Guys One Game Pod on all social media platforms. Uh, we are posting up or trying to post up everywhere. And I, I use the term trying very, very intently because... As stated in a, a recent post, we will always, always post when we can. We'll always upload episodes when we can, whether it's a solo episode like this one or a dual episode with both of us or one of us with the guest. Um, we will we'll always have an episode as much as possible. However, our family life does come first. Um, so if an episode doesn't come out, it's likely because one of us got sick. One of us had family troubles. Um family issues, whatever, and we, that all takes precedence over anything we do, so just kind of heads up there, which you can see on, again, our social media, where we post our, our roadmap, if you haven't seen the roadmap for 2024, which is season three, um, some key items to take away is we do have a Discord community that is up and running right now, um, you are welcome to join, the links are all listed down in the description as you're listening to this, um, and we do post audio podcasts everywhere on all major platforms, including, um, you know, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Samsung, Spotify, Pandora, and even the platform you're listening on, unless I already listed it, um, and a lot of minor ones. And then over on Facebook and YouTube as well. Um, all at two guys, one game pod. However, if you like video editions and you want to see my pearly face, like some of you are right now, you can actually watch the video edition of this episode and every episode from season three over at uh, patreon.com forward slash two guys one game pad podcast. Again, links are all listed down below. Um, so just click that more info down there and 
click the link. Uh, Patreon is $3 a month, but you do get access to a lot of amazing features that is ever growing. That did just go live January 1st, 2024. So it's all still coming together. So if you look over there, you're like, man, there's only like one or two things posted up there. Yes, we just started it. Video editions come out Wednesday and Friday because audios come out Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, we do have special episodes the Friday before every WWE pay-per-view, sorry, premiere live event. Um, we do try to cover other professional wrestling. However, as it stood until recently, myself, Sig, I watch other wrestling companies like New Japan, AEW, NWA, TNA, WWE. Um, whereas Roggle watches WWE, um, he kind of watches AEW from here to there, but he watches mostly matches um, on like YouTube and wherever it's been seen because they don't have a, a library or a live stream connection like uh, WWE does where you can watch a lot of their Raw and SmackDown on Hulu uh, next day or within two days. So WWE does get covered a lot. Um, and we often bring in Roggle's really good friend, Lane, amazing dude. Um, so end of January, we'll have a Rumble, Royal Rumble prediction. So stay tuned for that. And then that again, that's every Friday before a big, uh, before a premiere live event. Um, and then on top of that, again, Patreon has the exclusivity rights to all of our media or all of our um, podcasts, videos. So whether it is episode one or episode 100, whenever we get to that, it's really hard to say. Um, so, um, <clears throat> but yeah, Patreon has exclusivity on all video episodes, but you again, you get a lot of content or you will be getting a lot of content from Patreon um, that we're not going to have anywhere else for the time being. Um, so you're going to get video podcast episodes every Wednesday and th Friday. You're going to get behind the scenes unair segments monthly perks access to the restricted section of discord and many many more um unair segments could literally be basically what Roggle and i record between the two of us before we go live um or before we do an episode so it could be like a five minute episode it could be a 45 minute episode it could be an episode we literally just decided we're not going to air um it's hard to say uh, behind the scenes is like we haven't really figured that one out but that's probably going to be a lot of those like let's discuss post recording um so after we've done both of our recordings for that night or the big recording for the night um just there bullshitting with each other and talking about random stuff in life um a little bit more behind the scenes uh, the other big thing we will be trying to do and this is kind of the, the newest one for us i mean it's all new um, but this is probably going to be the more difficult one is our weekly live stream on two guys one gamepad over on twitch kick youtube and facebook um, where we're just kind of going to be going on roggle is going to do some watch parties which is exclusive to twitch only um, you do have to have amazon prime so kind of just be aware of that and he's going to do movie reviews that way and uh, tv show reviews and then you're going to have on all four platforms as long as the game studio and developers allow it because um, I have a lot of beta codes for video games. Uh, not all of them authorize streaming. 
um, for the protection of their their game, whether it's in final stage of beta or it just got into beta. They're very strict about that type of stuff. So yeah, uh, if I can beta test publicly, I will. Um, also going to be, this is again, the live stream, you're likely to see myself sig. You're likely to see me a lot on there. And this is simply, I stay at home. I work from home. Uh, Roggle has a big adult job. He goes and leaves the house. Um, so you're likely to see me a lot. Apologies. If you want Roggle, you just got to make it known and he'll make time for it. I promise. Um, and then once a month, we are trying to do a live stream episode as well. Meaning that the, the audio you're hearing right now and the video you're watching on, on Patreon it will be the one time that it is released as a live stream. However, live streams are not stored on our channels. So if you miss a live stream, that's that. It's like you just have to wait for it to be converted to an audio episode if it does. Um, I don't think we're going to make an episode. It's hard to say. We haven't finally uh, fully solidified that. It's going to be case by case situation. So if you see a live stream, tune in. Best way, like and follow, subscribe. Hit the appropriate button on the platforms where you stay up to date with it. I'm rambling on at this point. Uh, but there's a lot more to stay coming from us. So please stay tuned. Hit the like, follow, subscribe button, of course, and comment, rate, review. Whether you hate this episode, love this episode, think it's immaculate, think it's complete hogwash trash in a hot Arizona desert, let me know. Uh, we read all of them, we do appreciate it. So, without further ado, thank you for tuning in to this episode, Two Guys, One Game Pad. I hope you enjoyed. And as always, take care, and we'll see you on the next episode. Till then, everyone. Hey, sign out. I don't know what to say. Bye.